Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Government is the problem. This will not stand. This will not stand, this aggression against uh, Kuwait. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Mr. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. America is a strong force for peace. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. And my vice president has shot someone. Do you smell what Barack is cooking? You didn't build that. Give you all a big kiss, the women and the men. I'll, kiss. I'll even kiss the men. I'll kiss those big, powerful men. Sit down, you'll hear what I have to say. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Geopolitics Podcast, the show for those who want a spirited, irreverent, humorous, and occasionally informative discussion on the latest geopolitical issues that are impacting the energy sector today. Here is your host, Jordan Driscoll. This podcast is brought to you by T, the Empowerment Alliance. The Empowerment Alliance fights for affordable, clean, domestic, and abundant energy for America's energy independence. They want to keep the politics in this podcast, but out of the energy industry. If you want to learn more about what the Empowerment Alliance is fighting for or help support the work they're doing, please visit them at uh, theempowermentalliance.org. The link will be in the show notes. I can tell you these guys are incredibly passionate about promoting American energy independence. I hope you'll check them out, sign up for their newsletter, and support some of the work they're doing. Give them some love. They're making this show possible, and we definitely appreciate it. Uh, On that note, there will be, um, here in the next several weeks, some bonus episodes coming up that will be using some of the material that they have Uh, Some of the news articles they have through their newsletter will be using as talking points during that. So be on the lookout for those bonus episodes, but those are in the works. Welcome to the program, my huddled masses. I am the aforementioned Jordan Driscoll, your ATM of reckless opinion. So grab yourself a cup of coffee and let's get into it. Tonight I've got my... uh, my always uh, delightful uh, Colombian roast here. Mm, tasty. Mm. Now, uh, I just got back about uh, 24 hours ago from Las Vegas. I was at the Quorum Connections 23 conference in Vegas and had a great time. They uh, certainly know how to throw a user's conference, so I have no complaints there. Uh, my company for my day job was a sponsor, and we uh, uh, I say we – I certainly enjoyed it quite a bit. So that was a good time. Uh, Other pieces of housekeeping to talk about. I got my first um, set of numbers on my listeners. And no surprise, really, it looks like the United States has the most listeners. So that's not really all that shocking. But um, there it is. Uh, Second place with the most number of listeners would be Canada, which I was... um, Slightly surprised by it, I guess probably not too much. There's a lot of energy, oil, and gas going up in Canada, and they're pretty close by. I'm sure it's easier to uh, pick up a podcast in Canada, uh, you know, because we're neighbors. That's how podcasts work, right? So that's good. Third place was actually probably the most surprising, and that was Australia. I was very surprised that I, I had any sort of significant downloads in Australia, but I'm very happy with that. I need more Australian listeners because um, I need an excuse to come down to Australia more frequently. So um, if you guys can work on that, uh, big user base down there. That way I can, I can pop in more often. That's what needs to happen. <clears throat> Fourth place was a bit of a surprise also, and that was the United Kingdom. And I'm honestly surprised this one wasn't higher up. 
Um, number four, wow. I mean, come on, UK, way to let the Commonwealth stick it to you. I'm just kidding. Now, I appreciate you guys across the pond giving me a listen. I appreciate all my listeners. Um, you know, I think we're up to, what, at least 13 listeners at this point. So um, glad to have you guys here. So uh, unsurprisingly, as I think I called it back a, a number of weeks ago, zero listeners in China. And I'm pretty sure that I'm probably blacklisted there at this point. So after my Xi Jinping episode, I, I think that probably did it in for me. All right. So what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, I believe last week I promised you that I was going to do my um, my uh, my Woodrow Wilson special, right? So since this episode is about to drop uh, right before tax day in the U.S., and because the topic of tonight's episode is the cause of the modern taxation in this particular country, I have decided to make this my Woodrow Wilson hate episode. In this episode, I'm going to bitch about President Thomas Woodrow Wilson, and I'm going to explain to you some of the reasons why I hate him and why I think you should hate him, too. Hashtag make hate great. All right. And if that starts trending, then I'm, I'm sure I'll be assassinated. But here we go. Let's do this. So who was Woodrow Wilson? So he was born in Virginia to slave owner parents, and eventually he went north uh, and became the president of Princeton University. And he also eventually ran for office and became the governor of New Jersey. And ultimately, he got himself elected the 28th president of the United States of America. This would be in the 1910s when he was in office. He would serve two terms and consider running for a third term before he had a stroke and eventually died, um, which put a, uh, an end to his plans for continued running. Now, initially, this particular election was assumed to be a Republican landslide. However, Teddy Roosevelt did not get the Republican nomination. Instead, it went to incumbent Taft. And when he didn't get the nomination, Roosevelt decided to run as an independent, and he split the Republican vote. To give you an idea, Wilson only got 41.8% of the vote, while Roosevelt's third party, and one of the best, if not the best third party turnout of any election, got 27.4% of the vote, and the Republican candidate, Taft, only received 23.2% of the vote. So in fact, had the Republicans either nominated Roosevelt or Roosevelt had decided not to run, uh, it's very possible they would have had the majority share of the votes and the Republicans would have won this particular election. Now, would that have been better or worse? Who's to say? But we know one thing for sure, and that is Woodrow Wilson sucked. So, as a result of this split, it propelled old Woody Wilson into the White House. So, why is it that I hate Woodrow Wilson? Well, we can, we can kind of bring it down to a couple of key points. One, he hated freedom. Um, he was a massive racist. He did a lot of random shit that's annoying us today. And he gave us our modern tax code. So those are the four points that I'm going to uh, kind of go on about for a little bit today. So first off, I say he hated freedom. Why is that? Well, first off, he passed the or signed and pushed for the Espionage Act of 1917, which, among other things, made it a crime to criticize the United States military. And it was punishable 
I shouldn't say was, it is punishable by up to 20 years in prison. The Espionage Act of 1917 has actually never been repealed. It's still on the books in this country. It's technically still a crime to insult the United States military, um, which is, you know, funny because if I, as a Air Force veteran, were to say, boy, the Army just can't get anywhere without us, that could be punishable under the Espionage Act of 1917. But that's not all he did. He also passed the Sedition Act of 1918, which this one was absolutely insane. This, the Espionage Act of 1918, made it illegal to use disloyal, profane, scurious, or abusive language about the United States of America, any federal government institutions, or any employees or officials of the federal government. So this means that it would be a crime for me to say something like, I think Woodrow Wilson is a piece of shit. That would be a crime under the Sedition Act of 1918. Um, and it's punishable by up to 30 years in prison. Now, to give you some context, 30 years is a long time, okay? 30 years is longer than the mandatory minimum sentence for felony murder or sexual assault of a child. Yes, me saying that Woodrow Wilson is a piece of shit could get me more time in jail than murdering a cop, hypothetically. Okay, that's outrageous. Um, and you may be asking yourself, you know, anybody who's at least American and, and has at least heard of the Bill of Rights, you might be saying, boy, Jordan, that sure seems like that goes completely 100% against the um, – the First Amendment, freedom of speech and, and expression and all those sort of things. And you'd be right. It absolutely is. Um, and in fact, it wasn't until after Woodrow Wilson was out of office that we managed to get the Sedition Act of 1918 repealed. But the Espionage Act is, in fact, still in the books, and people still get charged with the various different parts of the Espionage Act. Um, and technically, yeah, it's a crime to, you know, to uh, criticize the U.S. military under it. So that's not exactly great. Um, like I said, the guy hated freedom. He made it a crime to criticize or openly speak your mind about the government, its, its officers, its employees, its institutions. You just couldn't do it. You couldn't talk shit about the government, which is, one, what I make part of my career around, and two, something that we as Americans should absolutely be allowed to do. Um, but old Woody Wilson didn't much care for that, so he put the kibosh on it. Furthermore, he really wanted the League of Nations to be a thing that existed after World War II. He wanted it so badly that he let France and Britain do whatever the hell they wanted to do to Germany, anything they wanted, with the assumption that there's no way none of the reparations they put on Germany would ever come back to possibly haunt the world at all later on, um, unless you, you know, count World War II, which would happen a few decades later. Um, all of that just to get... The League of Nations founded, which is kind of funny because the League of Nations was something that did exist and that Wilson was instrumental in making happen, and yet the U.S. never joined it. He couldn't get congressional support for it, uh, which made him look like a tool and, well, surprise, surprise. Now, you may be wondering, uh, while we're talking about Wilson's dislike of freedom, if you're not an American listener— have you ever wondered why the U.S. government's always up in your business, toppling your regimes and intervening in your civil wars, putting military bases all around the globe? If so, 
you have Woodrow Wilson to thank for that. Virtually every U.S. foreign policy diplomat today would be classified as, quote-unquote, Wilsonian. The idea that Wilson propagated was that American values should be spread far and wide across the globe, you know, democracy and shit, um, and that we should obviously spread those values by any means necessary. And he lived up to that ideal. In 1914, Wilson ordered an invasion and occupation of Veracruz, Mexico, for seven months, under the pretense that Germany was meddling too much in Mexico's internal politics, and that, yeah, the U.S. needed to go in there and sort that out to prevent there being any foreign meddling in Mexican politics. And obviously the way to do that, uh, fucking invade Mexico, clearly. That's obviously what you would do. Now, he justified this in 1913 by saying, quote, I'm going to teach the South American republics to elect good men. You sanctimonious sack of shit. First off, <clears throat> the U.S. didn't even manage to elect a good guy during this election because we got you. Secondly, you're now going to invade Mexico and a lot of other places we'll get to in just a minute in order to ensure that the right guys are in charge. This starts the tradition of regime change and uh, really, really aggressive foreign policy meddling that the U.S. would uh, pretty much continue on in for the next, oh, century or so. Also, by the way, Wilson, uh, great, great uh, gold medal in mental gymnastics there, pal. Great job. Beautiful. <clears throat> now, Wilson would go on to consider a second invasion of Mexico, although he would be talked out of that one. But he would launch military interventions of Nicaragua and Honduras in 1914. He would launch... a. Uh, Invasion of Haiti in 1915, the Dominican Republic in 1916, Cuba in 1917, and Panama in 1918 because, fuck it, why not? He's got to make sure good men are getting elected, right? Even if it's at gunpoint. Furthermore, he even deployed 5,000 American soldiers to the Russian Empire to fight in the Russian Civil War between 1918 and 1920, after telling European leaders that there should be no military or otherwise sort of intervention from an outside nation in the Russian Civil War, he sent 5,000 troops to Russia. We sent troops into Russia. How many Americans even know that fact? How many Americans even knew that we had deployed a military expeditionary force to Mother Russia during the Civil War? Well, we did. That's a thing we did. Um, and that was under Wilson's direction. And in all of these cases, virtually nothing was accomplished. I mean, he propped up the uh, various different, um, you know, uh, Caribbean plantations and uh, corporate interests in the Caribbean, which was the primary thing in these banana wars that he was going for. He tried to fight to have the Tsar released in Russia. And after two years of having U.S. soldiers ambling around Russia, getting into random fights with the Bolsheviks and rebel forces, eventually the U.S. forces left and the Tsar was executed and the Soviet Union took over anyway. Um, so all of these military intervention, interventions did effectively fuck all, um, but he did them anyway. And now we have this gold standard of foreign policy meddling that we've been dealing with for the past century. But that's not all. Wilson was a massive racist. And I know what you're thinking. Okay, okay, okay. Lots of people were racist back then. But hot 
damn, he was racist. So first off, during the Paris Peace Conference, which was the peace conference that we had at the end of World War I, where all the different victorious nations came together and decided just how badly they were going to shame and humiliate Germany and the other members of the Axis powers, um, or the Central Powers at the time, uh, somehow or the other, Woodrow Wilson was the chairman of the Paris Peace Conference. And during the Peace Conference, Japan, who had been on the Allies' side during the war, had proposed a racial equality proposal. Uh, the reason being that at the time, a lot of the China and Japan and Korea and a lot of those Asian nations were not considered um, civilized or uh, advanced nations. And this is kind of a funny thing considering the fact that Japan had only a decade prior absolutely beat the living hell out of Russia, who was considered a first-rate world superpower at the time. And Japan was considered nobody, and Japan absolutely beat their ass in the Russo-Japanese War in 1905. Um, and so Japan had wanted language um, as part of the League of Nations and as a part of the uh, Paris uh, Peace Conference that said that all members of the League of Nations and all uh, countries and ethnicities in the world were to be treated equally. And this proposal actually passed overwhelmingly. In fact, the one guy who stopped it, even though it passed, was Woodrow Wilson. Uh, Woodrow Wilson overruled the majority of the nations at this conference and said that there would be no racial equality proposal in this document. And he said, quote, the backward countries of Asia and Africa are in no position to demand such a thing. Jesus. So yeah, that's what we've got there. That's 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 Woodrow Wilson. Pretty racist, right? But he's not done. I mean, think about this. Think about this. Let's get a little 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 time lordy here, right? This happens to Japan while they're trying to prove that they're as important and powerful a nation as Britain and the US and all these others. And you know what's interesting is that uh, this might well have led Japan to deciding that they needed to prove that they were equal to the white nations that were in the League of Nations by, you know, doing what all those white nations did and conquering shit. And we all know where that led. The Pacific War resulted in some 30 million dead, which might have been avoided if Woodrow Wilson wasn't such a massive racist. Now, that's not all. Furthermore, up until this point, the U.S. Civil Service was not segregated. Up until this point, any ethnicity, any colored person could get a job with the federal government and could work on equal pay and equal terms as anybody else. This is something that had been the case ever since the end of the Civil War in the U.S. Woodrow Wilson, however, decided that was no good, and he is the one who instituted segregation in the federal government. Think about that for a minute. This didn't exist during the Civil War. It was something that he put in place, what, 50 years after it was over? Somewhere in that ballpark? I mean, think about that. This means his administration was more racist than a time when literally half the country thought it was okay to own other people as property. Okay? That's the kind of racist Woodrow Wilson was. Also... 
he has the distinction of being the first president to ever screen a movie in the White House, something that's extremely common today, obviously. The White House has its very own private theater where Spielberg and various other directors will go and screen films at the request of the president. He was the first one to get that done. And guess what film he had screened? The very first film ever played in the White House. It was the 1915 KKK propaganda film, Birth of a Nation. And it's not a joke. I couldn't make this up if I wanted to. Um, it's the story that uh, that is with the KKK defending uh, white people in the South after the Civil War from the ravages of newly freed slaves. And Woodrow Wilson didn't just have this film screened. He didn't just request it. He was actually quoted in the movie. And let me just give you that quote. It begins, The white men were roused by the mere instinct of self-preservation, and at last there sprung into existence a great Ku Klux Klan, a veritable empire of the South, to protect the southern country. End quote. Woodrow Wilson. That is... That's quite a statement. That is quite a statement. Um, but we're not done. Woodrow Wilson was then asked after the screening what his thoughts on the movie Birth of a Nation were, and his answer was, I quote, It's all so terribly true. Jesus. But there we go. There we go. We, uh, we, I mean, how do you even... Uh, come to grips with that, you know? I mean, this is a guy, you know, here's the thing about racists, and there's a difference between races, and not to get all social warrior, social justice warriory here, but there's a difference between racists and bigots. Uh, racists will tell you they're racist. They will, they will just flat out say, yes, I'm a racist, and here's what I think and what I believe. Um, Woodrow Wilson was a racist. No two ways about it. So um, yeah, that's that's a reason there why I think um, why I think he was a, uh, a scumbag, one of them. But he's done a lot of other things I don't like either. For instance, prior to this time, there was no national bank in the United States of America. But Wilson disliked this immensely, saying that the government should have a central banking system, not unlike that of Europe. And so, in 1913, he signed the Federal Reserve Act, which gave it gave us you guessed it. The Fed, the Federal Reserve, which we now deal with today. In 1914, he signed the Federal Trade Commission into existence, um, as well as various other regulatory bodies that we deal with today. He campaigned really, really hard to join the League of Nations, which was a, a precursor to the United Nations. And despite being the leading voice for forming the League, as well as being the chairman of the committee to establish it, he never got enough public support uh, from Congress to join it. And in fact, part of the problem there was he was notoriously stubborn and notoriously refused to reach across the aisle and work with Republicans. Um, when he got reelected and when he went to uh, the Paris peace talks, he actually refused to take anybody there uh, who was a Republican to help negotiate that deal. And so when he brought it back with all the stuff he wanted for the League of Nations, the Republicans, who had won control of Congress in the prior election, refused to, um, to do that because he had, frankly— just said, no, I'm not going to have you guys involved in this process whatsoever. Um, furthermore, 
this guy in 1911 vetoed a bill uh, giving women the right to vote, arguing, quote, women lacked the public experience needed to be good voters. Um, now, I think it's it's funny on a couple of points, because one, if women in fact lacked the experience needed to be good uh, voters, it's probably because women weren't allowed to do much of anything back then. Um, if they were out of the kitchen or not producing a baby, what good were they, right? Um, and secondly, uh, this is something he would eventually turn around on towards the end of his presidency with the Suffrage Act, but basically after being bullied by the Democratic Party into going along with it. And so, um, yeah, this guy was just on the wrong side of virtually every social issue. Race, equality between sexes, didn't matter. He was just totally an asshole about all of it. Between, you know, giving us massive governmental bureaucracies to uh, to live with for the next century. But that's not all. There's just a few other tricks up his sleeve. He also gave us the modern tax code. So, historically, in the early part of U.S. history, the first century or so that was around, the majority of federal income was derived from tariffs, which is the taxation of goods being imported into the country from overseas, and from excise taxes, which were taxes on specific products paid by the retailer or the producer, things like uh, oil and fuel and alcohol and tobacco. I mean, effectively, when you're paying severance taxes on, uh, on oil today, it's effectively an excise tax that goes to the government, whether it be federal or state or whatever the case may be. But the point is, that's where the federal government got all of its money back in the day. Now, the federal government prior to the 19th century was a hell of a lot smaller. Most of the time, we didn't even have a standing military. Um, but under the administration of uh, Roosevelt, more especially once you got to uh, Taft and Woodrow Wilson, the federal government was growing significantly. And this included our entry into World War One, which was very expensive. We were fighting a world war. We were shipping troops to Europe and having to build naval ships and all sorts of things that racked up quite a quite an amount of uh, money owed, and the government was strapped for cash. So his solution uh, was to push for the passage of the 16th Amendment, which granted the federal government the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes. And don't come at me with the whole, oh, the 16th Amendment was never ratified. That's been proven. It was properly ratified. It, it exists. It's stupid. I hate it. Whatever. But it exists. It's, it's legit. And as soon as it was ratified, he pushed for the uh, Revenue Act of 1913, which established both the personal income tax and the corporate income tax. Now, it should be noted this was not the first personal income tax that has ever existed in the United States. That that dubious honor uh, goes actually to Abraham Lincoln, who instituted the first personal income tax to help fund the Union war effort in the Civil War. Now, that particular tax was instituted, I think it was um, 19, or excuse me, uh, 1862, um, and it was meant to be a temporary measure to pay for the Union Army and the Union war effort, and it existed um, until 19, I think it was 71 or 72, when they repealed it and actually got rid of it because... They had paid for everything they needed to pay for. The war was over. Everything was fine. And so from 71 or 72 onward, there had been no income taxes, and there had been no income taxes prior to that. So basically that that decade period um, was the only time prior to that there had been a dedicated U.S. income tax until Woodrow Wilson, who passed the Revenue Act and gave us corporate and personal taxes, and those have remained on the books 
ever since then. Um, now the tax rates have fluctuated, you know, and we've talked about that in previous episodes. But the point is, he was the guy that actually brought it to the forefront. And since Wilson, we have had income taxes and corporate taxes as a standing thing that we do every single year and probably will forever. But that wasn't quite enough for old Woody Wilson. He needed to reach into our pocket just a little bit more. So in 1916, he gave us the estate tax, which was basically a a way of ensuring that even in death, you'd better be paying your fucking share to Uncle Sam. That's right. So those are some of the key takeaways to why Woodrow Wilson is, in my opinion, the absolute worst. And if you want to think about this from from a different standpoint, think about it. If he hadn't have been such a jackass to the Japanese during the Paris Peace Conference, they may not have been inclined to side with the Axis powers in World War II, which meant that perhaps there would never have been a Pearl Harbor attack and uh, kamikaze pilots and a under no circumstances will we ever surrender mentality uh, from the warrior caste, which effectively took over Japan during that time, which meant we would have never been forced to drop the atomic bomb on, uh, uh, on, on Japan twice. And possibly if we had never been forced to drop the atomic bomb, then Russia would have never felt compelled to develop the atomic bomb, which means that maybe there would never have to be a Cold War. And if there was never a Cold War, then perhaps there was never going to be a uh, Soviet expansion to Afghanistan, which would eventually lead to us um, possibly uh, having to equip the brave Maharajin fighters in Afghanistan with American for intel and, and weapons. And uh, there would have been no collapse of the Soviet Union, at least not while there was an occupation in Afghanistan. And without that uh, collapse, there would have been no power vacuum in Afghanistan to set that off, which meant that these uh, jihadis would have had uh, no beef with the United States afterwards, which meant that perhaps they wouldn't have um, you know, flown planes into the Twin Towers on 9-11, leading us to having to take off our shoes at the airport and the general paranoid surveillance apparatus state that we have to deal with now with the TSA and NSA. So really, if you get right down to it, most of the problems we have in the modern world today are due to Woodrow fucking Wilson. Um, There we go. There we go. That's what I think. So no matter if you think that Obama was a communist, Muslim, antichrist tyrant, or if you think Trump was a racist, sexist, homophobic, literal Nazi, we can all agree Woodrow Wilson was fucking terrible. feel a little better now that I've gotten that off my chest. Um, So, yeah, that's what I've got for tonight. I hope you enjoyed that. This is Jordan Driscoll reminding you that it's all so terribly true. See you guys on the next one. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Geopolitics Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. (laughs) 